0: morning, take a seat. If you are part of the newcomer's course and you haven't left yet, please feel free to go and do that now. Um, Yeah, so, um, I don't know how many of you remember um, that we spent quite a long time, not too long ago, um, looking at the book of Mark, um, around about 20 months um, picking through it. And um, much to, my amazement. Um, the feedback recently has been, can we do some more of that sort of stuff, please? We'd love to hear some more of that sort of exegesis and like digging into scripture and working through and passages that you can't circumnavigate and we need to f- figure it out, um, which was quite a surprise. And so we spent some time thinking about that and do we, you know, do, do, we do Genesis, or do we do Exodus, or do we do um, one of the Pauline letters? Or um, We've decided, we've settled on that we're going to do the book of Acts. So, are you ready? (laughs) Now, this isn't, we don't think, we don't think this is going to be a 20-month thing. We're going to go through it a little bit um, quicker. The first 12 chapters we're going to go through in a lot of detail, and we might pick through some of the later ones. We'll see where we get to. Um, But we're going to look at the book of Acts. Um, So what I'm going to try and do this morning is look at the first section of the first chapter, pick some stuff out of it, but also try and pick out the themes which are going to run through the whole book. To kind of give you a, this is a bit of a cheat sheet this morning. These are the things to be looking out for as we go through. These are the themes to be picking up as we go through the book. So, a little bit to fit in, so we'll see how we get along. I have entitled this morning, Quit Waiting. And hopefully that will become all the more clearer as we carry on. So let's start um, Acts chapter 1. Verse 1 says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. All right, so quite a little passage there. if you are a fan of TV series, a little bit like I am, then this really is very much the previously on 24. This is what's happened. I and mean, it kind of a little bit of a recap reminder. Because you'll notice it starts by saying, in my former book, Theophilus, which is a little bit of a clue for us there, because that means um, that it is the same writer who wrote the book of Luke. It was also addressed to Theophilus. Um, And so Luke has written, effectively, part one. And now he's writing part two. This is the sequel. This is everything that happens next. And so like on one of those TV series, he's just giving us a little bit recap reminder what happened in part one to get us up to speed so we understand what's happening in part two. And that's kind of what he's doing. That whole, previously on 24, is not a new idea. It's a couple of thousand years old at least. So, he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Interestingly, in the book of Luke, he gets all the way up to Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and then Jesus' ascension. But he doesn't say, I wrote about everything that Jesus did, everything he did and taught. He says, I wrote about everything Jesus began to do, and to teach. This story is not finished yet. You might have thought that that was the end, but this story's not finished yet, and it's just the beginning of what Jesus is going to do. So Jesus is still a primary character in this story. And then we meet some other primary characters in the story. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, another primary character in this part of the story, to the apostles other primary characters in this story. And what he's doing right here at the beginning is introducing us to all the primary characters at the beginning of this story. He's saying, look, Jesus is still very much involved in this, as is the Spirit of God, as are the apostles. This is the landscape. We've got all the key characters as we move forward. And what's really interesting about this is what this... This gives us a clue to one of the key themes. Now the other three, there's four key themes that we're gonna look at. And the other three are very evident in this opening passage, and this one is less evident right at the beginning, but there's a clue here. Because he's talking about what has begun to happen during Jesus' lifetime will continue to happen. If you remember our study on the book of Mark, what we saw through the book of Mark was this very clear challenging the powers. Jesus came and he challenged the powers. He challenged the spiritual powers. He challenged the religious powers. And he challenged the political powers. And it was a strong theme as we studied the book of Mark. And that theme continues, unsurprisingly, through the book of Acts. These apostles now challenge the powers, challenge the systems. They challenge the culture that they're in. And... Through this series, hopefully, we're going to get into the culture that this is in, because it's quite a difficult thing for us to get our heads around sometimes. But, you know, the language that we use today is very Christian language, but it wasn't Christian language then. It was very everyday language. The ideas that we have about this Messiah, this Jesus, being born and then of a virgin and then being crucified and then being raised from the dead and then ascending to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, very Christian ideas. But they weren't very Christian ideas then; they were very everyday ideas then. The goddess Mithra was believed to have been born of a virgin and to have ascended. Into heaven. Julius Caesar, when he died, a comet appeared in the sky, and it was believed that that was Julius Caesar rising to take his place at the right hand of the gods in heaven. His son was the son of the gods, Augustus Caesar was the son of the gods, was the son of God, and he was worshipped as a deity and they brought about the kingdom, the empire of Rome, and it was said that by no other name can people be saved than by the name of Caesar. People would greet each other in the streets with Caesar is Lord. (coughs) The emissaries that would take The news of the empire to the furthest reaches of the empire, bringing news of great victories that had been won, great news from Rome, were called evangelists. And the new towns and areas and cities that were, as they came into, as they chose to submit to, the rule of Caesar, as they came into the Roman Empire, as they were conquered, as they were overcome, and they chose to become part of it, were called the ecclesia, or churches of the Roman Empire. The language that we see coming through this book of Acts is today very Christian language for us, but for them was very empire language. And there's this there's this great challenge and this great conflict and there's this great wrestle, which is unusual because actually that people believed in another god wasn't a new thing in the Roman Empire. They believed in all sorts of gods. And if you believed in another god, if they took over another city or they took over another land or they took over another country or a region, they would expect those people to continue to worship the gods that they worshipped. They would just add them to the pantheon of gods that they worshipped. And there would be local gods, and there would be family gods, and there would be gods around your, your craft. So be, if you are a baker, then there would be a god for bakers, there would be a god for whatever fishermen, undertakers, whatever it was. There was a god that you worshipped as a god of your trade, as a god of your craft, as a god of your family, as a god of your community, as a god of your village, as a god of your town, as a god of your city, and then you absorbed all the other gods. And we find inscriptions now in cities that we uh, from that time, and there are forty different gods named, and they're gods from the Roman, um, the Roman gods and their Greek gods and their. Mesopotamian gods and their European gods and their Asian gods and their African gods, all listed and inscribed in the same passage. You just added your God to the mix. And yet, these apostles, these disciples, this church became known as rebels, as renegades, as troublemakers, people who had to be killed because of the God they believed in. Why does that happen? And we're going to explore that over the coming year. We'll move on. says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, 40 is one of those key numbers in Scripture. Now, when the writers pick details like that out, they pick details like that out for a reason. They're trying to tell us something. And 40, important number in Scripture, you might remember it's Noah was in the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. And when the ark actually came to rest and they all came out, it was a new earth. It was a new beginning. It was a new covenant with God. It was a new relationship. And so this, the author, Luke, putting out the word 40 here is supposed to evoke that. They were in the wilderness for 40 years, coming from captivity into the promised land. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. And this language is supposed to evoke that, this 40 days that Jesus was with them after his resurrection. It's supposed to evoke those ideas again of, so now we're coming into the promised land. Now we're coming into the time, the kingdom, the establishment of God's kingdom, the establishment of God's rule. The writer is drawing us, encouraging us to pick that sort of stuff out. And we'll move on. On one occasion, whilst he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's telling them, saying, look, the stuff I talked to you about, this Holy Spirit that's going to come and empower you and be in you, that stuff that I talked to you about, that's going to come. So wait where you are in Jerusalem until that happens. And then, then this is going to spread. And he says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If we remember, again, back to the beginning of our series on Mark, when we see the baptism of Jesus. And John the Baptist is performing these baptisms for anybody and everybody. Not in the religious and the holy place, but out in the middle of nowhere. He's performing these baptisms. He says, I am baptizing you with water, but this is a baptism of repentance. You see, they had baptism in the Roman Empire and in the Jewish system at this point. If you wanted to go into the temple in Jerusalem, the main Jewish, the center of Judaism, if you wanted to go into that temple, then you would be baptized, you would be washed, you would be cleansed as part of the ritual to going in, so you were clean, so you were holy enough. But John says, this isn't just a baptism of cleansing, this is a baptism of repentance. And repentance is a really important word. And the word it uses here is metanoia. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia, which means to change your mind, to reshape your thinking, to think differently, to see the world differently. And Luke says that this baptism of the Spirit that is coming is going to be like the baptism with water, but it's going to be so much more. And in the same way that this baptism with water was about changing our perspective, changing our thinking, changing our mind, changing how we view the world, this baptism of the Spirit is going to change everything. This baptism of the Spirit is going to change how we think, how we see things, how we understand the world to be, how we live, how we view ourselves, how we view God, how we view the others. It's going to change our identity, it's going to change our purpose, it's going to change everything about us. So stay in Jerusalem until this happens. Which is the second theme that we're going to see through this book. And the second thing we're gonna theme we're gonna see through the book is embracing change. These apostles have a lot of change to deal with. They're changing culture, they're changing their theology, they're changing their understanding of who God is, they're changing their understanding of what how this is playing out. They're changing, they're changing all sorts of things. They're changing how they their role in society and their function, and they're changing, they're challenging the, the cultures and the They're forming new communities and new families. How they operate, how they function, the language they use, they are embracing change. And this is a theme that we will see going through the whole book. So then it says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus says, Goodness sake, get a grip. Which he doesn't, but you can feel it in him. He's kinda going, We've talked about this. We have talked and talked and talked and because if you're again, if you remember through our Mark series, we looked at this great expectation that they had of the Messiah was that he was going to come, and he was going to restore Israel to its former glory, and he was going to devastate Israel's enemies. He was going to overthrow anyone that stood against them, and Israel was going to be great again. And so these apostles, these disciples, were going to be the key people in this new kingdom, which God was going to come and impose through his Messiah, through his Son. It's all about power and winning, It's all about God imposing his kingdom on everyone, destroying the enemies. And all through his ministry, Jesus is going, you know, the kingdom's not like that. You know, the kingdom's like a mustard seed. You know, the kingdom's like yeast. So the kingdom, is he keeps trying to get that this kingdom is like salt or it's like light and it's like something that comes from within and it spreads and it's small and and it's not just imposed, and it's not about power and strength and might and force, it's about love and mercy and sacrifice. A weakness and smallness. And yet even now, after they've seen his death and they've seen his resurrection and they've sat with him for another 40 days and they go, right, okay, great. Brilliant, Jesus. This is fabulous. Now the time? Are you gonna do it now? Is this where the big reveal happens? Is this where the big imposition happens? Is this where you're gonna kill them all? And Jesus, like, come on! We have talked about this so much. Do you not understand what this kingdom's about? You've completely missed the point. Another thing that we're gonna see, which isn't one of the four I've picked out, but we're gonna keep we're gonna keep seeing these apostles, these disciples, getting it wrong. Just because it says it in the Bible doesn't mean they were right. Just because it says it in the Bible doesn't mean that they got everything spot on. They made a lot of mistakes. And we're going to see that happen. But it's all right because God could use our mistakes. And God can work with us in our ineffectiveness. And God can work with us in our weakness and in our screw-ups. God can still work with us, which is really great. And what a fantastic model we have in these apostles of making mistakes and screwing it up. Anyway, we'll come to that as we go through the series. So they're going, Lord, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom. Jesus is going, oh, for goodness sake, no. You just don't get it. Is this it, God? Are you going to just, is this this the big reveal? Are you going to kill them all now? No, that's not what this kingdom is about. But he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Quit worrying about when I'm going to come back. Quit worrying about when this is all going to come to its conclusion. Quit worrying about that. That's not for you to worry about. That's not what for you to think about. And that is still very relevant for us today. If you find yourself fascinated by end times and Jesus is coming back and whatever, Jesus is really clear. Quit worrying about that. Stop it. That is not for you to know. That is not for you to know. Give it up. You're missing the point. And he carries on. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. This isn't about God imposing himself. He's now saying you're going to be the people who receive the power. This spirit that I am going to invest in you is going to bring power. And this is a really strong theme of the book of Acts. These people learning to live in the power of the spirit, learning to keep in step with the spirit, learning to live by the spirit. These people who are bringing about the kingdom of God, who are establishing the church, who are spreading this message and this community and this lifestyle and this perspective and this way of understanding the world. These people are indwelt by the spirit of God. And we, because we carry on this story today, we are indwelt by the power of God. And sometimes... I think we forget. Sometimes we don't look like we're involved by the Spirit of God. The word for power here in the Greek is dynamis, from which we get the word dynamite. To give you a sense of what this should look like explosive power. And we're going to see as we go through this book incredible stories where they are doing not just the things that Jesus did, but and even greater than. Where they are operating in the power, which is the same power we have within us today. But they are operating under this power. They are living by the Spirit. They are working out how to adapt to this. This is the power. That is a strong theme through the book of Acts, and we're going to see and hear a lot about it as we go through. But this power is limitless. This authority that is carried, this ability to speak out truth, to heal, to call out life, to transform.